the way over there, Wanda quoted Bible verses to us. But she'd always quote these ads, I mean, verses that I never heard of. And I, you go look it up and it would be there, you know. And, and I would look at John and I'd say, is that the Bible what she said? And of course, we got her over there and her daughter wouldn't take her in. And, and so we had to bring her back. She said, well, just take me to Babel. I said, I'm not taking you to Babel. Well, I took you to Lexington. I'm not taking you there. And, and she said, well, John, you take I said, he's not taking me there either. So anyway, so... But so we're going to look at some things, and, and this may help you in some ways. I want us to put that diagram that James said he doesn't like. James doesn't like this diagram. He can't get the diagram. So uh, put that diagram up there. You see this just to get an idea. So, so we're talking about Calvary when Jesus died, then the resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus ascends back into heaven. Okay? Then what does that usher in? That ushers in what we call the church age. And the church age is the time that you and I are in right now. We're in the church age. And so what are we looking for? Well, if you can look, you can see the rapture of the church in which we go up and Jesus does not touch this world. He comes and, and as a result of that, we meet Him in the air. That rushes in a time, a period that's called a seven-year tribulation. Now, if you'll notice, there's a little time between the rapture and the tribulation, and I'll speak to that in just a minute. But there's a little block in there. But then we get into the seven-year tribulation, which at the three-and-a-half mark when the... the, when the uh, Abomination of desolation takes place. The, the Antichrist goes in and sets down because the Jews build the temple back. He goes in and sets on the temple and declares himself to be God. That's when the, the, the Bible tells us that becomes the great tribulation, the last three and a half. So three and a half, and then it goes into, uh, then as a result of that, in the second coming. So we got the rapture where we meet him in the air, then we got the second coming when we come back to Jesus. Okay? Now, during that time, and we'll also talk about it, and I'm going to change something here, the Bema Seat will take place, the Bema Seat will take place, and the marriage of the Lamb will take place. But the marriage of the Lamb is two different two different things. And so we'll talk about that in just a minute. So, all right, and so uh, so Jesus comes, He returns to the earth, the second coming. This time, according to the book of Zechariah, He's going to put His foot on the Mount of Olives, and it's going to cleave. And so as a result of that, that ushers in what we call the millennial, uh, the millennial kingdom in which Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years. At the end of, and, and that time also during a thousand years, Satan is bound for that thousand years. And as a result of that, the great white throne judgment takes place, and then we go into eternity. So here's what I want to talk to you tonight just a little bit about before we get into this. I want us to go between where the tribulation is and the, and the millennium. Jesus comes the second coming, but at the second coming, which starts with the millennium, when the millennium, uh, there's going to be a 75-day period in between there. That's the where you get that, okay? Turn with me, if you will, and I've got a PowerPoint that I can just going to take in a minute, but I want to go through this. And so I want us to look at this, and if you can put that first slide on the front. The time, but go back to that first slide. The time between the end of the tribulation and the beginning of the millennium. So if you go over now, go to the next slide, go to Daniel 12, and Daniel 12, and let me read to you verse 11 and 12. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. Uh, if you can put Daniel 12, 11 and 12 up there, I'd really appreciate it. If you can, if you can do that, thank you. Do that. We, we won't need that. I don't think we're going to need that slide there. Look what it says in Daniel 12, starting with uh, 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 verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifices Taken away, and the abomination of desolation is 
set up. Okay, so from the time of the abomination desolation, that's what your three and a half years is about, okay? The time of the abomination desolation is set up. There should be 1,290 days. Okay, so, so 1,290 days. Now look at verse 12. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the, uh, to the 1,335 days that you go your way to the end and you shall rest and your wives and your harvest and the end of the days. Now, so the first thing I want to say, verse 11, he says here, verse 11, uh, the 1,290 days is what verse 11 says. So it says, the time of daily sacrifice taken away and the abomination desolation set up there shall be 1,290 days. Now here's, here's the thing I want you to see. You can go to the, go to the, next, uh, go to the next slide. The next slide says, the tribulation is how long? It is seven years. Okay? So the tribulation is seven years. And the last half of the tribulation is three and a half years. All right? If you look at a Jewish calendar, the Jewish calendar has, because it's not like our calendar where we, uh, we have 365 days in our calendar. The Jewish calendar only has 360 days. So 360 days times three, and if you just figure it up here, so uh, 360 uh, figures out the 260 days, and 3 times 360 equals 1,080 days, okay? Then 360 divided by 2, which would be one year, divided half a year, because it's three and a half years, would be 180 days. 180 days with uh, with uh, 1,080 days figures out to be 1,260 days. So in other words, when we're talking about three and a half years, we're talking about 1,260. And 60 days. But now, what what does verse 11 say? Verse 11 says, in here, it says, Blessed is he of you, verse 12, verse 12, Blessed is he who waits and comes, well, all right, I'm sorry, verse 11, And from the time the daily sacrifice is taken away, uh, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. 1,290 days. Okay. So what's he saying to us? All right, let's go on to the let's go on to the next slide. The next slide says, and uh, what are we talking about? Well, and uh, this same number is used. If you can put, can you put these scriptures up there or not? Or still there? Okay, if you can put Revelation 11:3, because here we're now talking about the two witnesses. Remember, the two witnesses are going to stand in Jerusalem, and they're going to be preaching the whole time, and and they're. Uh, and nobody's going to be able to touch them until finally the Lord takes down the shield and allows the Antichrist. And they're going to be killed. They're going to lay in the, in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. And then all of a sudden there's going to be a resurrection and they're going to ascend up up into heaven. And, and they, can each, they can even come fire out. And that's the reason fire is. Some people think this would be probably uh, would be Elijah and also probably two witnesses would be Elijah and Moses. Some people think it might be Enoch because of the fact that Enoch, the two people, are uh, Elijah and uh, excuse me, what I, yeah, Elijah Enoch, because they say they're the only two people that ever saw death. Enoch walked with God; he was not with God. Speaking Elijah, you know, went up in fire for the chariot. But look what it says about in eleven three. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy. Look at this; they'll prophesy one thousand. 260 days closed in sackcloth. Okay, what's the 1,260 days? That's exactly the three and a half years. Okay, 1,260 days, which was which was there. Now, 
Then there's also Revelation 12.6. 12.6. Then the woman. Now, there's been a lot of debate about this woman over in Revelation 12. In fact, there's even been some women preachers that have tried to say that it's them. No, it's not. It's not a woman. The, the Catholic Church has also tried to say that this is her church. No, it's not. Because if you read this, you go back and read it. Who is it? It's Israel. That's who it is. It is Israel. And if you go, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, and they succeed her there 1,260 days. The same amount. 1,260 days. So the women are fleeing. What are they fleeing from? The tribulation. That's what they're doing. They're fleeing from this. Okay, so we got those two. 1,260 days. Now, so in Daniel 12, 11, I read that it's going to be 1,290 days. So if I do that, if I which I take, if I take uh, which is 30 more than the time of the tribulation, so 1290 uh, minus 1260 equals 30 days after the tribulation. Because read this, what it says here, it says simply, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1290 days. So in other words, this is the time that the, the the abomination of desolation has already ceased, but to get rid of all that, to take it all away, here's what we're talking. We're talking about 30 days here. Okay? Now come down here to the uh, to the next day, to uh, or chapter four, verse 12. Now in Daniel 12:11, so the abomination of desolation is removed from the temple 30 days after the tribulation has ended. That's what we say. Okay, then. If you go on to continue to verse 12 of Daniel 12, then use, it uses the number of 1,335 days. Okay? 1,335 days. If you take 1,335 days and subtract the 1,290 days, then it equals 45 more days. So if it means 45 more days, so 30 plus 45 equals 75 days. So, in other words, there's going to be a space in between here of 75 days from the time that the tribulation ends to Christ kicks off the millennium. There's going to be 75 days. Thus, the time between the end of the tribulation and the start of the millennium will be 75 days, which makes me think, which also makes me think that there's, you know, we've always had like Ezekiel 37 and 38, and, and we know that in Ezekiel 38, when that war takes place, it's going to take, how long, Mark, where are you? take seven years. So we know we, we don't think that's going to go all the way through the tribulation. So the obvious place would be at the middle of the tribulation. So it looks like the possibility that this would start, that Ezekiel 30 and 39 would be between after the rapture, and there's a lot of debate here, believe me, because we've read everything we possibly can on this, but there's going to be there's a lot of debate between the rapture and Ezekiel 38, 39 war. Some people think it's going to start before. Some people think it's going to start after. But it just seems to be. But the logical thing here would be there was a period of time in between. So that would explain that those weapons are not destroyed to him. So, so 30 days plus 45 days is 75 days. Thus, the time between the end of the tribulation and the start of the millennium will be 75 days. And it makes me think that there was going to be a period between the rapture also and the tribulation period. Now, uh, so why why is this 75 days? So why do you think there's going to be 75 days? What will be going during? What will be happening during this period? Here's what's going to be happening in this period. Number one, 
and, and she's saying all these that you can give me some scriptures up there too uh, that are listed here. The Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. That's Revelation 
shall judge between many peoples and the youth strong nations far off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, and the nations shall not lift up the sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Verse 4. And when everyone shall sit under the vine and under the fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Alright? And, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, so, Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20. Uh, it says, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice in all your heart, the daughter of Jerusalem. Um, uh, the Lord has taken away your judgment. He has cast off your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster more. And in the day that shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Uh, Zion, let not your hands be weak. Uh, the Lord your God in your midst, and the mighty one will save, and he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. Thank you. 
And so, uh, so I just thought I would just throw that in. But it gives you 75 days here in which I really believe it's going to be a busy time. And, you know, the Lord doesn't do anything. Uh, the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion, and He's not. Everything He does, He does in order. Now, where are the cards and the dates on the And I'm sure you've got some napkins and everything, so we'll see what we got.
because uh, because what? How does Jesus work that? How does Jesus work that? The Bible says that we are warped by the what? No, okay. Let me, let me, uh, let's go over to the book of uh, is the book of Ephesians.
Now, some people teach that it's through baptism. I believe the moment you come to Christ, I believe you, the Holy Spirit comes in. Because you could not be saved if the Holy Spirit didn't come in. Okay? Now, are you controlled by the Holy Spirit? Now, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus also said this. He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So why would not any of us in here not want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit? Why? Because that's where the fruits of the Spirit are. That's where love, joy, peace, and, and all that stuff comes from. Why would we not want to do that? So how do you get it? By asking. Just saying, Lord, will you fill me? Will you fill me with the Holy Spirit? Will you baptize me afresh in the Holy Spirit? And if that's happened, there ought to be a difference in your life. So, okay. Yes. So what I'm saying is, we're not saved by our works either. And he, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now I've heard people try to explain that. Again. Try to explain that. Again. Okay. This this question says, what is religion? Religion is man's idea on how he's going to get to God. That's what it is. It, it, it's his way of trying to redeem. His, his way of trying to redeem himself. And when I when I you know when I read something like John over here in the book of John chapter one where it says simply uh, we all know this verse here where it says and he came to his own his own did not receive him and received him not in verse twelve it says but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name but now listen to me this is religion this next part because this is what it says in verse thirteen. Who were born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. See, the Pharisees would come to Jesus and they'd say, we're Abraham's seed. That's when they told Jesus, we weren't born of fornication. Well, you were born of fornication. Your mother, you, you were born out of wedlock. That's what they told Jesus. And Jesus told them they were of the devil, the father of the devil, because they lied. And so the whole point, what I'm trying to say is, because it says here, what does it mean? They were born not of the blood. In other words, they thought because their father and their father had been better just automatically. Listen, God doesn't have a group plan going ahead. you got to come to your own. Your mom and dad may be great people. They may be great Christian people. But you yourself have to come and know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then he also says this. We're not born of, uh, of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. And every time... Uh, you know, you just can't all of a sudden get saved when you want to. You've got to be saved when the Holy Spirit's still with you. Now, and, and it also says here, the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Will of man, what does that mean? Well, that means simply this, that, there's, that, that uh, you know, after I'm dead and, and children, uh, well, anyway, I'm told because I'm dead, and rigor mortis is set in and, and liver mortis is set in, which is that's the reddish-blue discoloration of the body when you die. Also, algor mortis is set in. Algor mortis is when your body takes the temperature of, uh, of, of the, if you die in the freezer, then you're going to be the same temperature of the freezer. If you die in the oven, you're going to take the same temperature. So all those things 
uh, you know, all, all those things are going to be yours at that, you know, are, but, and so here comes the priest, and he throws a little holy water on you, and, and he says, you're going to heaven. The will of man. No. Religion is man trying to get to God through some other way other than what God has said. Let me ask you this question. What is, what is the main purpose of God including in the book of Genesis of about um, Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel? What's the purpose of that? What do you think the main point of that story is? To what? Well, Adam and Eve did pass sin under them. But I'm talking specifically about Cain and Abel. And and what am I saying? I'm saying here, because when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they what's the first thing they tried to do? With what? That's religion. That is religion. Man trying to cover up his sin, pay atone for his sin. Can't do it. Alright? So so then what so God did what? He killed an animal and he put covered them over with the eyes of the animal. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Now, here comes Cain and Abel. Now, here comes... So, so evidently, the knowledge was already there of how they could approach God. So, how could they approach God? Because, because here comes Abel. How, what did Abel bring? He did what? Okay, he brought... What, what did Abel bring? He brought an animal sacrifice because that's the way God said, if you're going to approach me, this is the way you've got to come. All right? So, how, what did Cain bring? He brought a fruit salad. Now, some people say, well, he was able to, he did the best he could do. It don't matter. He did not come the way that God told him to come. And that's why God looks at him and says, if you do what's right, you, you know, it'll be accepted. But what did he do? He got angry and he got mad and he ends up killing his own brother. And so he, what's the purpose of Cain? The Cain was he tried to come to God through some other way than God said, you can approach me. That's the whole reason we preach the grace of God. That's why. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through what? Through me. That's why in the book of Acts it says, there's no other name given out of heaven where men might be saved. The only way, and, and the thing that, you know, that really scares me to death is about for people is, is chapter 12, or is it chapter 12, yes, or chapter, uh, no, yeah, chapter, is it chapter 12, chapter 11, Romans, um, excuse me, chapter 10. Because listen to this, this is religion. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Well, the Muslims have a zeal for God, don't they? They have a zeal for God. They'll cut your head off if you don't believe like they do. Zeal for God. But not according to knowledge. In other words, they're trying to come to God some other way. Listen to what it says, verse 3. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not committed to the righteousness of God. Because Christ, he goes on in verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness of everyone who believes. The only way we can come is through Jesus. That's why Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3 say, verse 1 says what? It says in the, in the in days prior to this that God spoke for who? The prophets. 
But in these last days, what does he say in verse 2? He speaks for who? Himself. And then chapter 3 tells us how we can come to him because of chapter 3. Verse 3 tells us this. So, religion is man's attempt to try to get to... Um, um, Try to get to um, try to get to God some other way than what He wants. Okay, here's another one. Does a person need to be baptized in order to grow in faith? Yeah. If you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. Now there was a time you say, well, a lot of it, you know. Some people say, well, I got sprinkled when I was a baby. Well, there was there used to be what we call Anabaptists. And Anabaptist was what? That was people that in Anabaptist, really what it means is this. It means to baptize again. Because what it means is that people would be sprinkled and they'd say, well, that's good. And then other people were coming back and they were saying, no, that's not good enough. You need to be baptized. So all of a sudden they stopped sprinkling and they started baptizing by immersion. We baptize by immersion. I would have to say 100%, yes, you need to be baptized. But not to be, not for the same fact that some people teach. I, I wouldn't want to be baptized because I'm trying to follow Jesus in every single solitary way I can. That's why I need to be baptized. I don't want to leave anything down there. I want to follow Him because He's my Lord and He's my Savior. Um, well, okay, all right. Now, here we go. What is... Which one of you guys answered? We didn't even do any of this. All right. Um, what is the Holy Spirit? The most, I'll tell you who the Holy Spirit is. He's the most disrespected one of the Godheads. You hear that And we don't we don't appreciate that. We don't love him like that. There is no difference in the Holy Spirit from God the Father and God the Son. There's absolutely no difference. And we've made him into something that we can't even hardly recognize. Uh, the Holy Spirit is one per person. Bible tells me that over in the book of, and he is a person, because the Bible says that two things that we can do the Holy Spirit. What can we do? We can tempt him. He wants to come to us and tell us to do things, and what do we do? We try to stop him from telling us to do it. We quench the Holy Spirit. We cut him off when he's trying to do it. But not only that, but listen to this: he, he's a, he can be grieved. The Bible says we grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when we're acting like a plumb nut and when we're doing things that we know that the Lord wouldn't be proud of, then we grieve the Holy Spirit. And it breaks His heart. You know? See, you got to understand that the only mediator between... We, we talk about religion. Okay, the only mediator between God the Father and us is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. The only way I can get to the Father is through Jesus. But guess what? The only way that I can get to Jesus is through the Holy Spirit. And that's why the Bible tells us that we just can't get saved anytime we want to. The Bible says, except the Father call. And so when He's dealing with you, you better pay attention when He's dealing with you. Because, now, what, what, so what is the sin then against the Holy Spirit then? Now, Jesus talks about that over in the book of Matthew. And what happened there? Well, here's what happened. Jesus is, is heals this guy. He had a, I think it was the guy with the withered hand. He heals him. And what do they do? They come to him and they accuse him of what he's doing. He's doing by what? By Satan. He, 
it rather than by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's doing it by faith. And so at that point, Jesus now goes to them and says that every sin will be forgiven now. That's what he says. Read this just a little. Well, I'll read it to you. It's over in Matthew. Is it Matthew uh, 12? Because what happens here now, this is the first time. This is the end of Jesus' public ministry. Now think about that. How important it is, how important it is that we not grieve the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus cut his, he cut uh, his public ministry off at that time. Um, and, and, and why? And he does, from this point on, he, this is when he begins to speak in parables. And now the disciples have to come to him and say, what do you mean? And he would tell them what he meant in those in class he taught in those parables. But he would not, he would no longer speak out in public like that because of what they did to him. And here's what he says. He says, he says over in chapter 12, verse 31, Therefore I say unto you, every sin and blaspheme will be forgiven men, but the blaspheme against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, neither in this age or the age to come. That's what he said. Now, let me ask this question. Why? Because the only mediator between you and God the Father is Jesus Christ. But the only mediator between you and Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And here's the problem with that. The problem is with the, the sin against the Holy Spirit. Now, I've had people come sometimes and say, well, I think I can move. I, you know, I had a guy call me one night after 20-something years. I hadn't heard from him in 20-something years. He called me up one night. He, he was a Vietnam veteran, and he was having a hard time. And, and he started talking to me about what he felt was just he committed to the unpardonable sin. And I talked to him and talked to him on the phone that night. I went over and put, read Bible verses. I was trying to convince him he had not done it. Because it's, it's, I think the, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is specific. It's a great deal. But it, but then you know he talked. I hadn't heard from him twenty something years, and that was like on a Thursday or Friday night. Sunday he died. Sunday he died. He called me back the next night. I did everything I possibly could trying to read scripture and everything to him, tell me that's what he said. That was the thing he had not done. And I said, let me come to you. Let me come. Wouldn't let me come to you. And you know, um, it's not the point. When a person commits the, uh, un, the unpardonable sin, it is not the point that God does not want to save that person. It's the point that He cannot save that person. Why? Because the only mediator between you and Jesus is the Holy Spirit, and they have so pushed the Holy Spirit away that now, and it's not the point that the Holy Spirit doesn't stop, I mean, that the Holy Spirit stops speaking to them. It's the point that they don't hear Him. Bible warns us against that. It warns us against hardening our hearts. If you set the service long enough and, and you, the invitation is given, the invitation is given, the invitation is given, and you say no, 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 no. Eventually the voice gets weaker and gets weaker and gets weaker and gets weaker. So what happens? You don't hear him anymore. That's the danger. That's the danger. You've got to forget what forget about what everybody thinks. If you feel like you need to go forward, go forward. If you feel
feel like you've got to come up here and bow down at this altar and talk to the Lord, then come and talk to the Lord. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. Wonderful. And it keeps, you know, the, the Bible talks about how, you know, one of the things. Let, let me ask you this question. I know I'm not saying that. What is it that we don't know how to do? According to Scripture. What is it that we don't what, what is it that the Bible tells us that we don't know how to do? According to Scripture. Chapter 8. Romans. It says, For we know not how to pray. And how wonderful to know that we have a Savior intercession for us, yet pray for us. Love to ask people to just pray for yourself, but not for you. But let me tell you somebody else who wants to pray for you. The Holy Spirit. He's with you. He's with you. And He will guide and just, and, and sometimes people, I've heard all kinds of people say they hear a small voice, and that small voice is when, when, when the Lord is speaking to them and telling them not to do something, or tell them, maybe you hear a voice that tells you to turn the car like this all of a sudden and you're saved from a wreck. Who is that? That's the Holy Spirit. That's what He will do to you. The wonderful person of the Holy Spirit. Okay, here we go. Um, where did I get it again? Well, I don't, you know, I don't know what I'm answering all these. I'm trying to. Okay. Um, I got saved and baptized as a teenager. I come to church and read the Bible and pray several times a day, but sometimes the voice in my head questions if it's really real. Do I really believe that I'm really saved? Am I saved and how do I battle this voice in my head? Yes, sir. Now, okay. So how do I do this? Let me just say this to you. God never lies. Okay? God never lies. So when He looks at you and He says, whosoever Call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What's your part? What's your part? Call on Him. What's His part? To honor His Word. He said, if you call on Me, you'll be saved. He says, if you confess Christ as Lord and believe in the heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's His part. He said, I'm going to save you if you will. If you will. If you will trust the Lord with all your heart, and and you know, uh, and and come to a place that you've given your heart. So if you've given your heart to Him, and has you know, and so here's an God deals in action, just like forgiveness. You know, if somebody's done something to you, how do you forgive that person? You you come to the Lord and you say, Lord, on this date right here, I forgive this person, and I forgive that this person. God honors that because in every time, because listen, you said there's a voice somewhere. I hear that voice too. I hear that voice that says to me, Lee, you really, you, you know, you're a hypocrite. You do this, you don't do this, you don't do that. I hear, I hear those voices. And I have to go ahead and I have to, I have to believe what this word says. God has told me He will never leave me, He will never forsake me. He has told me that if I, if I will come to Him, all that my Father gives me and will come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. He's told me that. And I believe that with all my heart and soul. 
we want to do, you know, we want to do this. We want feeling and then the Word and then faith. Or vice versa. And God doesn't want us to do that. What He wants us to do is this. He wants us to put the Word out here first. Because Jesus said everything else is going to pass away, but my Word will not, will not be complete. What we're going to do is glory, but He says also that by bread alone, but by every word proceeding out of the Word of God. So when I take the Word of God, so I take the Word of God and I, and I take it in, I take the Word and then I put my faith in the Word, and then what happens right there? Then the seed of the A lot of people, a lot of people, if they'll look at their Bible study, are you getting anything out of your Bible study? That's one of the things. Are you, are you in your prayer life? How active are you in your prayer life? Do you, I mean, do you really get alone and do you brutally honest with him? Do you tell him everything in your life that's happening? Do you share with him? Do you, do you, do you sit with him and just listen for his voice? Let him, because what does the Bible say? The Bible says that his spirit, that's what, bears witness with our spirit, that what? That we are what? His. To get along with him and just let him speak to you and say to you that you're mine. And to trust him. To have a history with him. I think that's one of the things that Christians don't do. They don't have a history with him. What I mean, I mean simply that you ought to, you ought to keep a prayer journal. You ought to keep it all the time, but keep a prayer journal. Write down all your prayers. Write down all the things that when you put them down, put a date. I, Lord, I come to you and I ask this. Then when that prayer is answered, come out here and write out, it was answered on this date. And then all of a sudden, you've got this whole list of all these prayers that God's answered. And what does what the Bible say in the book of Psalms? He says, I would, have, I would have lost all if I had not believed to see the hand of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have lost all. It's all the way through the Psalms. We all feel this way. Don't, don't let the devil isolate you and make you think you're the only one that goes through this. Every great person I've ever read about has that. Spurgeon had that. In fact, Steve Spurgeon, uh, he suffered from depression many times. Mark and I talked about uh, uh, C.S. Lewis. He still smoked and drank. You know? Even though he's written some of the greatest things that ever was as far as Christianity. So, so don't think that you're the only one. And Satan likes to isolate you. He can do it. No. And he says, in, what does he say in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13? These things that are written to you in order that you might know you have eternal life. But there's something, you got to stay in the Word. you got to stay in the Word. If you saw, and it says, am I saved and how do I, I, I battle this voice in my head? You know, what does the Bible say? If I resist the devil, he'll do what? But where is it? first I've got to recognize where that's coming from. Where's it coming from? You know where it's coming from. He'll come and create all kinds of doubt in your head. No. The more I get involved, the more I do this, the more I have an appetite for His Word, the more I spend time in prayer. And as a result of that, you know, I, I'm going to get more and more and more confident. And, you know, uh, you know, I, uh, I'll share this with you. I, I went alone one time just to, um, I, I, was having, I was having some serious trouble. And I was even doubting whether or not the Lord loved me. Several years ago, and not really. 
and, and you know, it's what's the word? Never get too, never get too tired, too hungry. Uh, never get too tired, too hungry, too uh, uh, old. I think that's the other one. Uh, I've got it in my Bible somewhere. Uh, and, and, and these things can play play into uh, play into things. Now, now you know who I've got. I've got the picture. I wouldn't want my bride beat up. 
angels. I look at I look at Revelation, Revelation chapter one, two, and three. Uh, the church is used not the word church is used nineteen times. When I get over to chapter four, the church is not used from four all the way to, to chapter twenty. Why is it not used? Because we're not in it. I believe we're taken out of it. Now, are we starting to see some things today? And I think this is what God, one of the things that's got people uh, saying is, uh, and, uh, and, and saying that they're, they're starting to see some things that look as they're, like I said this morning, we're starting to drink the Kool-Aid a little bit. The things that look like the tribulation, some things that are happening that are reminders of the tribulation. And I, and I remember for years I've said down here, every time I read Psalms 91, where it says a thousand will fall by your side, ten thousand by your right hand, but it will not come nigh thee. I really believe, and I've always read that, and I thought, is the Lord telling us that we're going to see all this stuff, but it said it won't come near you. So is He going to take us out before that happens? And I believe, and I believe He will. But here's my problem. Here's my real problem with post-trib. My real problem with it is, is the people that believe in a post-trib. Uh, why, why, do you, why do you want to take the church through the tribulation? You know? And, and some people, see, a lot of people that believe in post-trib, I'm not saying you do, but a lot of people believe in the post-trib, they believe it because they think, okay, God's going to perfect the church. Let me say this to you. If Jesus Christ does not perfect the church, then it cannot be perfected. If the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cleanse us from all of our sins and make us feel suitable, this goes right back to the question about religion. If, if the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cleanse us from all unrighteousness and make us fit to go to see God the Father, then nothing will. No trib, no nothing else can do that. So, so I, I don't... Why would he do that? This was before he went to heaven uh, to be with God. Okay, so so remember the story of Mary Magdalene standing at the cross, and and she goes to, and and she you know she walks up to the cross, she looks in, and, and Jesus walks up beside her, walks up behind her, and when he walks up behind her, uh, he he asks her, and angels seem to ask this question about us all the time. They ask us all the time, "What's your Father's got this. Why she's crying? So he asked her. Said, "Woman, why are thou weeping?" And she she thinks he's a gardener, and she says to him, "She says, uh, if you'll just tell me where you've laid my, if you'll just tell me where you've laid my, um, if you'll just tell me where you've laid my master, I will go find him." In other words, she's going to go pick him up and bring him back to the tomb. And she can't believe that that time was there. What did Jesus say? Thank you. 
So he does this with her, and she turns to him, and she recognizes now Jesus. He says, Rabboni, and the first thing she wants to do is what? Grab him. And she goes to grab him, what? By the ankle. He stops her, and when he stops her, what happens? He says to her, what does Jesus say to her? He says to her, don't touch me, for I have not yet, what? Ascended to my Father. Now, why did he say that? Because a little bit just right after this, we're going to be in that upper room, and Thomas is going to, uh, Jesus tells Thomas, come and touch me, so the Spirit does not have flesh and bones. Okay? Now, so why? Because he had not ascended to his Father yet. When he ascended to his Father, the book of Ephesians tells me he led captivity captive. Did, did, he, did he ascend to Hades? Well, here's what I believe. I believe that he went, he went to, uh, he went to get, because once again, I said uh, the place of paradise was where those people who died in the Lord went to uh, because he had not died yet. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. He hadn't gone to the cross. So those people went to paradise. But now what's he do? I believe he led the captivity captive. I believe he led those people out of, out of, out of paradise into heaven, where that now First Corinthians says, uh, what is chapter five, six, seven, chapter, chapter five, to be absent in this body is to be what? Present with the Lord. To go present with the Lord. So that's why I, I so I don't know that some people that try to say that Jesus um, went to hell. Well I tell you if he went to hell, let me tell you where he went to hell when he was on the cross. Because what is hell? Hell is the absence of God. Jesus on the cross when he said seven things on the cross, and then he said, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? When God, who we know so holy, so righteous, and when he looks upon sin, Jesus coming to sin, he turns his back to Jesus, and then he does, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? He was become, he was experiencing hell at that time. But he was paying for all the, the can you imagine that paying for all the sins of the entire humanity? All of them, all the filth, all the things, that's what he did. Okay. Um, I don't know whether this has been beneficial or not, or not. I hope it has been. Some people say, well, it's just something that we've said. Let me just wrap that up for a minute. And I know I'm over time, I don't have a, but is, is there a question I did not answer? If somebody has something they really want, so I wish I'd ask this or do that. I'm not saying I know the answer, and you may totally, di- and you may disagree with me. You know, you may totally disagree with me.